Over the next five years, Doe took a firmer control of the group. The crew had been following T and Doe for close to 15 years. Although some came and went, the core group was absolutely devoted. I read a few articles where it talked about members leaving for as long as six years, but the call of the religious order was too much and they returned. They had been encouraged to go to them with any decision they had to make, no matter how large or small. More and more, their will was given over to Doe. It fits with what they were trying to accomplish because they were still trying to overcome their humanity. If they made a choice on their own, it could be seen as a human choice. And that could set the entire group back. Doe ceremonially married all of the members of Heaven's Gate to himself at this time. It was a sign of their commitment, as well as having the practical effect of getting everyone in the classroom to wear a ring. Just one more way the cult members were distanced from the outside world. If they were working a job and people were less likely to hit on them, it was an easy solution out of social situations. Oh no, sorry, I can't go out. I gotta make it home. Point to ring. No explanation. I'm not saying marriage is a cult, but I guess I'm also not not saying it. I just want to note here that I keep using the name Heaven's Gate. They were in a constant state of flux on what the name of the organization was. Sometimes it was listed as Total Overcomers. Heaven's Gate didn't come in until a little later in the 90s. Using Heaven's Gate is the simplest way to avoid confusion. And you know what? Fuck it. It is great branding. It's a name that sticks in your head. I I love it. It's amazing. Heaven's Gate. The two. The keys to the gate. They're the pathway. You know, give them this. Great at terminology. Alright, so the time was coming closer that they would be asked to lay down their vehicles and leave the Earth for the next level. Having been through the disappointment of the UFO not showing up a decade before, this to me is a red flag. Doe wouldn't be setting up another failed demonstration where nothing happened and hope people just bought it as a test. Doe and T made it clear that as Jesus and the Heavenly Father, there were these powerful next level souls, so no one could step into a power vacuum if Doe were to die. Doe was already in his late 50s. His vehicle was beginning to break down and time was running out. Doe had his out. They just needed to die now. No physical interaction with extraterrestrials was required anymore. Doe and the crew needed to die. But how? Doe's vehicle, Marshall Applewhite, had a Christian background and although the classroom moved away and back to religious teaching several times, suicide couldn't be the answer. August 21st to August 31st, 1992. Ruby Ridge. Randy Weaver and his family, as well as a family friend, Kevin Harris, held off the United States Marshals for 11 days. The siege resulted in the death of the Weaver family dog, of Randy's 14-year-old son when he was shot dead, and his wife, who was killed by sniper fire, holding a 10-month-old baby. A U.S. Marshal also lost his life in the initial shootout, where Randy's son lost his life. They were there to serve a warrant for Weaver failing to appear on a firearms charge. April 19th, 1993. The ending of the Waco siege. The massacre of Waco, Texas. David Koresh, another shitbag of a human being and cult leader, died along with 75 members of his church. 
as they fought off the ATF and FBI attempting to serve warrants for search and seizure on suspected firearm violations, as well as a few arrest warrants. Twenty of the 76 were children. Two of the women were pregnant. David Koresh was an evil man. That being said, how the fire caught has been fuel for conspiracy theorists for 26 years. News coverage showed tanks and militarized police forces using battering rams to tear apart the walls and pour tear gas into the compound. Doe was influenced by all of this. If there needed to be an ending, and the ending prophesied in the Bible was to be a violent one, the most likely way they were going to leave their earthly vessels was in a hail of gunfire. Death by cop. The Heaven's Gate propaganda and recruitment became increasingly confrontational. Join us or lose out on the kingdom of heaven. We've already told you, this is the last call. I've mentioned before the crew was well versed in the internet and working with computers. Around the early 90s, they started a company called Higher Source. Higher Source. Source code. Higher as in divine. It is hard not to smile at these folks. Sorry, not at. Not to smile with these folks. With their knowledge of the internet, they would post on messaging boards for Star Trek and sci-fi fans. Um, how do I explain this to people younger than me? Um, on Facebook, you can jump on and find dozens of groups for any interests out there that you happen to have, right? Like if you enjoy this podcast, you can join the Not After 30 podcast Facebook page and be a part of our community. Don't worry, they're not as weird as me. They're cool. But before Facebook, if you had an interest or fandom, you'd have to search around the internet for each individual board, which simply put was an early version of a Facebook group. I mean, essentially, it's probably the exact same with different memes. The classroom would post in these Star Trek forums cryptid messages like, How and when the door to the physical kingdom level above human may be entered, organized religions are killers of the souls, UFOs, and space aliens. Sorting good from bad, final warning for possible survivors. They would sign these messages, www.heavensgate.com. People considering joining the cult were also encouraged to go buy guns and know how to use them, or be paired with someone that did. The phone number listed with Internic for one of the Heaven Gate's dummy sites turned out to be a Days Inn Hotel in Santa Monica, California, and the name Chris Knight was probably a fake name. The desk clerk at the hotel said there was no record of anyone by the name by that name staying there. The group's other website, www.hiresource.com, is registered to a Ben A. Goyet, G-U-I-A-T, which is the name of a typeface. The email address is font at cris.com. They named the guy after a font and then made font the email address. It is brilliantly funny. The address and phone number belonged to a Ramada Inn in Denver. The desk clerk there said he had never heard of such a person. They even hid text in their website. Oh yeah, their website, heavensgate.com, by the way, is still in operation as of today, with people willing to respond to email. I had a very pleasant exchange with them. They were willing to answer all of my questions. It of course looks a little dated, but... It's there, and you can look at an active window into the past. The hidden text is an early version of SEO, 
Underneath, blended into the background, is a long paragraph of words like UFO, revelations, apocalypse, essentially any jargon Doe was fond of saying to draw in new class members. 25 years or so ahead of its time, they're doing a bang-up job on the search engine optimization we're all trying to learn now. I was about to say that this would be next-level recruiting, and it struck me how ironic it would be to use that phrase. Up in my area, that's just a common saying. Next level, it means going above and beyond, like getting the more expensive brand of something. Oh damn, you went top shelf whiskey? That's next level. These people, man. The the crew, the class. Not the leadership, but the, the people. They, they have shown a consistent ability to use my language. Some of it might feel dated right now, but that's only because it's being held in a mausoleum. Glass continued to travel, continued to build websites and work on people's network systems. They also continued to evolve past their human limitations. They released a set of videos which you can find on YouTube under the Heaven's Gate database banner. I'm going to warn you, it is staged and awkward. It's 12 one-hour-long episodes explaining their beliefs. Questions asked by the members are pre-planned. It's really just a 12-part sermon. They're hinting at leaving their vehicles. It's wildly repetitive. I made it through the first six videos and I desperately want to go back because there are these moments and honestly the crew or as they were going by now, the classroom is looking at Doe with awe. They love this man. I can't explain it. You have to see it for yourself. The way Doe chooses his postures resting his chin on his knuckles to give this thoughtful expression. It's like a nutbag bowl cut having version of the thinker statue. I think I have an idea for a show that I want to do. If I could find a co-host, I'd love the opportunity to keep going through all of the cult materials for Heaven's Gate and then on to others. It's utterly captivating the way these small groups are gathered and held together by threads and they're going far beyond the limits of the world at large, what we would consider reason, thought, or morality. With utter love in their eyes, they stare at Doe. They talk about the corruption in this world, how it is gray and terrible. Love is one thing, but to have that doe-eyed look after 20 years is wild to me. A lot of these people have been segregated in the woods across states for 5, 10, 15 years. That much time around a human being, how could they not see his flaws, his failings, his absolute worst moments when he stopped being Doe and became Marshall Applewhite? That is, unless I am wrong, he was Doe and I have secured my place on this plane of existence through my heathen-like disbelief. In a sense... A challenge is issued, undertones of aggression towards the government. They want to stop us, and they can't. I might be writing my own version of events, but I think I see hints of come and get us. The death by cops ultimatum these nerds were too meek to outright issue. Now we're getting to the part of the story that the world is more familiar with. The classroom has found its final form. They were attempting to build a monastery in New Mexico. The classroom tried to set down roots in a mountainous wooded area with aspirations of building a monastery with a pharmacy, lookout tower, and living areas. I've not found any photos of the layout, 
what I read on it was that there were some living spaces built and they had a large metal shed where they stored their tires. A layout to a five-bedroom house had been built, but the roof was never raised. The architectural style was Earthship. Again, these people make me friggin' smile. It's a simple off-the-grid style pioneered by an architect named Michael Reynolds. It's essentially laying down tires like bricks and filling them with soil and packing that soil in with sledgehammers. It's a good way of waste reduction as well as remaining off the grid if you can figure out the other basic needs of energy, water, waste removal, and food. They went to town and rented space uh, next to a hardware store so that they could continue their internet work. The locals liked them. It's a hot spot for weirdo cults and aggressive survivalist types. Compared to them, these were forward-thinking, polite individuals who just wanted to be left alone to do their work. The area they were living in was in New Mexico. The New York Times article said southeast of Albuquerque, which got me thinking. New Mexico. Why does UFO spring to mind when I think about New Mexico? Oh yeah, because that's where Roswell is. The crash landing where the greys sprang to the forefront of our minds as believers is three hours away from Albuquerque. Well, after a quick Google Maps inquiry, I learned that if they were southeast of Albuquerque, they had to be right on the doorstep of the alien crash site. These people, man. Again and again, I have to stop and think when thinking about these people, the classroom. I might never agree with their beliefs, where their story ends. But I can smile at a nerd living their best life and feel sorrow for how it may have been better. They had the balls to build an Earthship kilometers away from where the aliens may have crashed landed in preparation for their UFO coming from the Kingdom of Heaven to pick them up for an intergalactic joyride. How can you not smile at that? Work on the monastery suddenly stopped. The classroom packed up and moved to California. They set up in an upscale gated community of Rancho Santa Fe in October of 1996. We don't know the exact details of why they abandoned their construction efforts and moved, but accusations have been thrown at the late, great Art Bell. Art Bell was a conspiracy theorist that had a radio program called Coast to Coast AM. Unfortunately, I've not listened to it as of yet, but Mr. Bell would have had interesting people on and talked conspiracies, monsters, and mysteries. In 1996, Art Bell was letting the world know that he believed there was something trailing an incoming comet, the Hale-Bopp comet. Bell suggested it was possible it could be a UFO. Bell received photos and had experts confirm behind the massive comet there could be something approaching the Earth. Art Bell was not alone in this belief. Many UFOologists also came to the same conclusion that Hale-Bopp might have a companion. This included Courtney Brown, a researcher that believed he could remote view the UFO through focusing his mind in a deep meditative state. The world was a buzz about Hale-Bopp, a comet entering our solar system discovered by two amateur astrologers, Alan Hale and Thomas Bopp, separately but on the same day. It was estimated to have an orbit of every 2,500 years. It was a rare sight with unprecedented brightness. The internet being what it is, tracking Hale-Pop became a sensation and everyone was sharing photos to update each other on the previous night's sightings. 
Many believe that Doe took this as a sign that T had finally arrived in the craft that was to take them home, take them away from this wretched, corrupt world. It was time to prepare. With the monastery being moved, the classroom still had to work to make sticks. Sticks being their term for money. They got right back to work. There were 39 people in the house. Splitting rent that many ways, plus bills, actually kind of sounds nice in these tough economic times. They paid $7,000 a month cash. Since when do mansions rent out in cash? I have to have three references, a background check, and blood samples, and probably at this point a stool sample if I want to rent anything in my area that isn't fucking roach infested. Either way, it was a massive mansion with a large grounds and a tennis court. I've seen pictures and it looks beautiful. A bit weird having bunk beds for adults, but I get it. They were living their lives like they were at summer camp. Only certain members were allowed to leave the house because Doe worried the neighbors might see too many people coming and going and alert the authorities to their presence. Life at this point was extremely strict. The classroom was seen in their home movies laughing and enjoying each other's company, but everything was highly regimented, even down to the way food was prepared, the food they were allowed to eat, and the way they ate it. They had daily log sheets where everything was recorded. If they took a vehicle, money for a bus, or any comings and goings, they would log it. These Trekkies kept a captain's log. When they moved into the mansion, the classroom purchased alien abduction insurance. This is a real thing. The premium was about $1,600 and would cover 50 members and pay out $1 million per person. The policy covered abduction, impregnation, or death by aliens. Heaven's Gate released another set of videos titled Last Chance to Evacuate Planet Earth Before It Is Recycled. I, a mouthful of a title I would have went, you know, maybe just with Last Chance to Evacuate or last chance to evacuate planet Earth, but hey, that's just a creative note. In it, Doe has a wild-eyed look. His rhetoric is higher tempo, and the challenge that if you don't join, you will be left behind is far more enforced. I sense a definite ending coming up, but this is where the story takes another right turn. Struggling with their sexual drive, some of the men come to Doe with a plea to allow themselves to be castrated. They wanted to focus on their studies and continue to overcome their humanity. In the Beyond Human videos, Doe talks about Eve. Adam and Eve were kicked out of heaven and there were no children in the garden. They had children on earth. So, sex must be a sin and children are a product of that sin. We are told to love our families, love our children, but that is Satan using the natural urges you have to keep you human by poisoning your mind with sexual desires. It's biological and animal. That must have fucking stung when their kids saw these tapes. Like, goddamn, dude. But I have a hard time knowing that these people were preparing for the end times, and they were also ready for self-mutilation. After a failed at-home attempt to castrate a member? Eh, <laughs> penis joke. In these uncertain times, a good penis joke is good for all of us castrate a member of the cult, Doe gathered funds and took himself and several of the male crew to Mexico to have it done professionally. Y'all, it's bonkers. Why were they so amped to do this? And why if the end was so very close at hand? When they were talking about who would get to go for the procedure, they flipped coins. It was the winners that got to go. The classroom prepared in every way they could. This was the moment that they'd been waiting for. 
for years. Over the course of six months, they went and visited local attractions, they worked, they had a talent show, they prepared to leave their bodies. Sorry, they prepared to leave their vehicles. The Heaven's Gate crew prepared for ritualistic suicide. They were voracious readers and had discovered in an assisted suicide book the most painless way to end their struggle. They referred to the suicide as graduation. Even after all these years, Doe was still a showman. They gathered material to make Purple Shroud. They purchased a large order of patches that read Heaven's Gate Away Team. Away Team is a Star Trek term for the team sent from spaceship to a planet or a nearby ship. Kind of a self-explanatory term, but I am not done beating home the point that these people are no different than you or I. They also purchased Nike Decade sneakers. For every member, they had a uniform black pants and shirt ordered. As the end of March approached, the classroom recorded themselves giving their final thoughts and goodbyes, pleading with anyone that watched the videos to understand that this was not suicide, to not believe the hatchet job they were about to see in the media. This was them leaving their vehicles, that they hated the earth and must find peace out in the universe. They were giggling and laughing, making dumb jokes. There's a sense of euphoria. I've seen a lot of dark stuff on the internet, folks. I've watched death videos, checked out crime scene photos. But as I watch and rewatch the final exit videos, I see all these people not talking for themselves, but parroting the words of Marshall Applewhite, a scared man without his older member that wanted it all to end. I know what I am watching is a snuff film. Before the class had recorded their exits, Doe recorded his. He pleaded with anyone that was watching the videos later, if it spoke to you, follow in their footsteps because the window was closing and the next level would be cut off to humanity for another 2,000 years. It was time. Remember that log sheet I told you about? Every day they'd write in when they left the house or craft and what their estimated time of return was. Well, as dictated by the time code on the log sheet, the classroom on their graduation day recorded in the log sheet one by one that they were leaving. In the estimated time of return, some said bye, some said nothing. One person wrote, hasta la vista, baby. The standout one is an individual scribbling in, if Doe and T tell me to return. Everything was set, so they began the ritual of leaving their bodies behind. They took large doses of phenobarbital mixed with applesauce or pudding and washed it down with vodka. The victim would lay down and have a plastic bag secured around their head. Phenobarbital is an anti-seizure medication. When taken in large doses, it affects the respiratory system, effectively slowing and then shutting it down. When the individual was dead, the bag was removed and the purple child was placed over them. One by one, they did this over the course of three days. The smell must have been fucking horrific. Can you imagine a house with 39 dead bodies evacuating bowels in the heat of California spring? Beside each person was their identification in a bag. In their pocket? $5.75. It's been a product of debate on why exactly this. A $5 bill and three quarters. Whenever a class member left the house, they had a $5 bill to pay for buses or pay for a vagrancy fine in case of emergency. Easier to get out of a conversation with a cop if you're using an alias if you have the cash in hand to pay a fine, I suppose. The 
quarters were there to make calls. In a time before cell phones, this would be a lifeline back to the craft, the house, and their family, with their controlling, emotionally abusive father. So why did each member have the money in their pocket? Just because it was so drilled into them as routine that it really didn't have much meaning and they did it without thinking? Or were they trying to wink at other cult members that had stayed behind? A cheap laugh and the media reported it and didn't understand. It's dark and profoundly funny if that is the case. I raised my glass to them if that's what they were aiming for. A cheap laugh from the other side. I wonder if anyone panicked and fought back. But no coroner report I read said that there was any defensive wounds. One by one. No one got cold feet. Over three days. Each day a group left the earth. Fifteen human beings left this earth the first. Fifteen the second. Nine the final day. The last two had plastic bags on their head but no shroud as they were the final to go after killing Doe. In the crime scene photos, Doe had a pillow under his knees. I don't have much sympathy for a man that desired love so badly he became alien Jesus to secure it with a sect of people. But you gotta think about how those last moments played out as he passed. They made him comfortable. Surrounded by his disciples in a house full of the dead. At last. You know, and if he truly believed, ascending to see his soulmate T in the next level to explore the worlds he dreamt about when he was reading in a cramped car and watching Star Trek on plastic lawn chairs, his moment was at hand. And he was surrounded by people that loved him. 39 people graduated that day. 21 women, 18 men. Their ages ranged between 26 and 72. They left this earth to the kingdom level above heaven. That's what the cult believes. And one last thing we'd like to say is 39 to beam up. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to the families and outsiders looking in, it was one suicide and 38 murders. Before the final set of suicides, VHS tapes were sent out to the Heaven Gate affiliates, or known affiliates, and at least one news station. Among those on the list of recipients was Rio D'Angelo, a former member. Richard Ford was his name before the cult. The package D'Angelo received on the evening of March 25th contained two VHS tapes, one with Doe's final exit and the other with farewell messages of the classroom. Informing his boss of the contents of the package, D'Angelo received a ride from him from Los Angeles to the Heaven's Gate home in Rancho Santa Fe so he could verify the letter. D'Angelo found the back door purposely left unlocked to allow access and used a video camera to record what he found. After leaving the house, D'Angelo's boss, who had waited outside, encouraged him to make calls to authorities, alerting them of this discovery. He did so anonymously at first. Why did D'Angelo have a video camera with him? It's not like he had a cell phone with a camera on it. Back in the day... 1997? Unless it was really expensive camera, it would have been quite sizable, bulky thing. A checklist of things you would need is the camera, a battery, uh, make sure it was charged, a backup in case, a uh, blank tape. Oh yeah, and the cologne he sprayed into his collar because he knew the smell would be horrific. 
Doesn't sound like a lot, but if I was given three hours worth of video suicide notes, a letter hinting that my friends just killed themselves and needing to ask my boss for a ride to a different city to check on them, video camera would be the last thing on my mind. Unless... <sighs> Unless I know what I was going to see and in some way taking the extra steps would profit me. He left a few weeks before the suicides. Was that under orders from Doe? A dark thought, but you tell me what else it could have been. The uniforms, the Nikes, the shrouds, everything was staged for the world to see. And D'Angelo was sent there to capture it. As the bodies were being removed, the news originally reported the deaths of 39 men due to the similar dress and shaved heads. News of the 39 deaths motivated the copycat suicide of a 58-year-old man. News of the 39 deaths motivated the copycat suicide of a 58-year-old man. The man left a note dated March 27th, in which it said, I'm going on the spaceship with Hale-Bopp to be with those that have gone before me, and imitated some of the details on the Heaven Gate's suicides as they've been reported in the news. He had no known connection to Heaven's Gate. At least three former members of Heaven's Gate ultimately died by suicide in the months after the mass suicide. On May 6, 1997, Wayne Cook and Charlie Humphreys attempted suicide in a hotel in a manner similar to that of the classroom. Cook died. Humphreys survived. Another former member, James Perkley Jr., died by suicide from a self-inflicted gunshot wound on May 11th. Humphreys, who had survived his first suicide attempt, ultimately killed himself in Arizona in February of 1998. You have to wonder what Bonnie would have thought of all of this. You have to wonder what Lena Blavatsky, who inspired Bonnie, would have thought of all this. The power of words. Was the truth misinterpreted? Or was it a lie to get out of a bad situation that just got out of control? Simon Burgess, managing director, said in regards to the insurance policy the group had placed on themselves, Because of the manipulations of malevolent third parties, innocent lives were wrecked. I am deeply shocked and saddened, and that's why we're withdrawing from the market. We don't wish to contribute to a repetition of Heaven's Gate deaths. I could not find a definitive answer if the insurance was paid out. After the suicide, the policy was removed. However... It was stated that it would be hard for any beneficiary to claim the money since they would have to prove the members of the classroom this policy covered were in fact abducted by aliens. You know, in all of this tragedy and all of this horror, it's nice to see that insurance companies are fucking consistent, right? <laughs> the website Heaven's Gate was updated as all of the suicides were going on. Explanations that whether or not Hale-Bopp had a companion was irrelevant because it was their time to go. And one last screaming shout out to Star Trek, a flashing gif of red alert is strobing across the top of the page, and it plays until this day. Chuck Sharmick was the man that had come forward with the photo of a Saturn-like object trailing the Hale-Bopp comet to Art Bell. Bell did provide information early that the photo was not to be believed based on scientific in investigation. Other astronomers came forward saying that the reason he saw this object was because Chuck's computer did not have the user preferences properly set up. The identical clothing was used as a uniform for the mass suicide to represent unity. The Nike decades were chosen because the group got a good deal on the shoes. Going out of this world, you weren't a deal on the shoes. 
Nike Decades, the shoes present in all the crime scene photos, now go for thousands of dollars. They're one of the most exclusive shoes for sneakerheads to collect, some pairs going for as much as 6000 The world has a way of grieving for the cool kids. When Elvis died, people cried in the streets. If a celebrity died that had a major impact on your generation, you and the people around your age may mark the moment in your mind of where you were when you heard the news. I don't know if the world knows how to grieve for the weirdos, the outcasts, the dorks. Sure, it's sad, but it's always met with pity more than sorrow. Since we are near the end of the story now, the pain and the loss the family suffered for all those years wondering where their children, friends, and siblings were end up with no answers. Why did they feel like they needed to give up their family to find happiness? They never got a chance to say goodbye. To have that person back in their life and feel that connection to who they truly were one last time. Good, kind, and loving people that got mixed up with a man that was hurting, being led by the ghost of a woman that no one can ever really truly know or understand what her motivations were. Salvation of as many souls as she could. Spiritual dictatorship of a sect of people with a personal power denied to her most of her life. Who were the people that chose to follow? One person was John Craig a respected Republican running for the Colorado House of Representatives at the time of joining in 1975. One night, an old college buddy showed up at his family home. He sat and talked at the table for a couple of hours. In the morning, he woke up, went to the lawyer's office, put power of attorney for everything in his possession to his wife, and walked away from his life. His daughters never saw him again until the media coverage of the Heaven's Gate mass suicides. Most people thought he was an average, nice real estate agent. What had John Craig seen in his life? A few words from an old friend that would lead him to tea and dough. The Jedi mind trick is powerful, but also probably not real. For my money, that motherfucker had seen something before in his life to know that his friend was telling him his truth, the truth. Could John Craig have been an alien abduction victim? This is utter and complete speculation, but something happened here and I can't arrange the pieces correctly in my mind. ABC News Nightline, reporting from Washington, Ted Cowell. Good evening and welcome to a very special edition of Nightline where we're following a truly extraordinary breaking story. We're all familiar by now with the story of Marshall Applewhite and the Heaven's Gate cult. 39 lost souls following a deranged Pied Piper to an untimely end, or so it seemed until two days ago when ABC News began receiving strange microwave transmissions from deep space. With the help of NASA scientists, at 11 this evening we were able to decipher these signals, and so now live via satellite from the alien spacecraft is cult leader Marshall Applewhite. Marshall Applewhite, I, I take my hat off to you. You were right about everything. The comet, the spaceship, everything. Congratulations on a job well done. Well, Ted, I really appreciate that. <laughs> but I gotta tell you, when I set down that glass of phenobarbital, I had a moment of like, Marshall, not good. <laughs> but I knew then it was go time. So I said, what the hell? and rolled the dice, and guess what? We came out on top, and it feels pretty darn good, right, gang? Yeah! 
guests aboard the spacecraft. They have just been wonderful. Their hospitality, fantastic. Of course, their food leaves a little something to be desired. <laughs> when Santar's wife makes her space casserole, I wish I could kill myself again. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Santor. Actually, his wife has been incredible. Uh-huh, all right. Well, this whole killing yourself thing has really turned out to be a home run for you. Tell me, are there any regrets? Yeah, the castration thing. I was way off on that one, Dad. It, it turns out it had nothing to do with anything. In, in fact, when we got here, everyone just looked at me like, Apple White, you nutball. Yeah, but he's on nutball. He's on Marshall Applewhite, what are your plans for the future? We're not going to mess with the good things, Ed. We're just going to keep following this comet around and partying. Oh, by the way, Ted, Xantar here wanted to say something to your viewers. That's all right. I know that feeling to be alone in a crowded room, to stare at a list of failed attempts at adapting and fitting in. For what it's worth, I'm here, and you have your free will. Don't give up the fight, folks. Keep trying to find joy in this world. Don't surrender your will to anyone else. Keep searching for an idea that resonates with you, a life that completes you. Keep searching for a happy life. I know it blows to have to keep trying when it seems so easy for others, and it's wearing and at times it feels insurmountable. But life is complicated. I'm there for you. There are no magic beans and no easy solutions. Keep fighting. In the meantime, at least we have podcasts for conversation till we find our people. Keep looking for your people, but you're good enough as you are. Don't surrender yourself in order to get away from that terrible, lonely feeling. The mass suicide is in the past. In a way, you could say it's like school in summertime, no class. If I missed any important details in this episode, if you feel like I got something wrong, email me at beardedandboard at gmail.com. At this time, spending a couple of weeks on this script with the recordings of these people, I can't help but feel a connection to them. At PodCamp over and over again, the topic of true crime kept coming up. It's one of the biggest booming genres out there right now. It's a genre that I like. You know, I'll be honest, there's only one show that I'm truly familiar with. It's called Crime Machine. Alright, here comes the pitch, people. You have to listen to me. If true crime is anywhere in your interest or you know anybody that does like true crime, go look for Crime Machine. People, search for it and check it out. If you have a dark, bent kind of sense of humor and any interest in true crime, just go. For the love of God. Jack Luna and The Operator are putting out some really unique, interesting content, and there's rumors that they're going to be expanding into a couple of new shows that, if I know these guys, are also going to be friggin' awesome. If you do go, if you do like it, take the time to rate and review them on iTunes. Leave a hoot hoot so they know who sent you. Even if you're not into true crime, Jack's level of writing and the production values are just mind-blowing. Alright, so back to the point about true crime that got me off topic there. Okay, um, 
I haven't fully understood why there's such a strong demographic of women listening to true crime. Only because it seems horrifying listening every week to how some asshole killed a bunch of women and did terrible stuff to them. I guess that's a conversation of privilege. I, I don't see myself as the killer because I'm a sane person, and I don't see myself as a target because I'm not a woman. Maybe there's a chance a knife-wielding lunatic jumps out of the bushes and I could swing back or something. I've not been in a fight my entire life, so I know how insane that thought is that somehow in a moment of panic I'd fucking know kung fu. I'll work and try to expand my worldview and lower my misogyny, but in one of the sessions, a woman answered that in a sense they identified with the victims. In a way, it was a form of protection, knowing how these women were targeted by these monsters, how the murderer got into the home or the common danger areas to avoid. At the time, I don't know if it made complete sense to me until I started writing this episode. It's me. Marshall Applewhite killed a version of me. He killed a version of my friends. He stole people that were like me away from their families at a low point in their lives and promised them acceptance in a world they didn't feel like they fit into. They were lost people. They were good people. In another 10 years, maybe they could have found their home online playing World of Warcraft and sharing memes. In a very real way, I felt mad at certain points. It's a feeling of failure or fear to think that at my weakest moment, if I was approached by a Marshall or Bonnie, I could be considered a decent prospect for the classroom. If you've made it this deep into my rambling retelling of their story, I wonder, do you feel any affinity for the humans we lost? We are all podcast listeners, and not to paint with too big a brush, but there seems to be some common personality traits amongst us. I won't speak for you, but I am a bit of a loner. A dork or weirdo. I have friends, but everyone is so busy and we live so far apart now, it's hard to sit down and talk with anyone. I love conversation, discussing nonsense and having an absurdist laugh. Do you have any of these traits? Have you ever felt that way? Bonnie, through Marshall, killed 38 human beings. With a little piece of me. With a little piece of us all. Would Marshall and Bonnie look at me and see the weakness they knew how to exploit? Is it really so insane to want to unplug from modern society and take time to work on yourself, have a good time? If you give up the material world and live your life camping and talking about aliens, self-supporting yourself, not being a part of the machine, you're not doing anything all that bad, right? Not the extra baggage of cutting yourself off from the world, but carving out your own slice of what you could call success. Well, dear listener, that's what I'm trying to do. Maybe I am angry because I see Marshall Applewhite and I think, Fuck. How can I capture a little bit of that? Maybe in a dark corner of my heart, I am envious of his voice. Jim Jones was Animal Farm. Marshall Applewhite was just a voice. How much of what I'm trying to do in growing my show is echoed in what Heaven's Gate already accomplished? I am a podcaster, and I want my show to be good enough people want to listen to it. I'll focus on having grade A content instead of indoctrinating people into following my belief structure, of course, but I have looked at hashtag generators for the best hashtags so people will come and check out my Instagram posts. How is that different from them using SEO on their website? I've taken a couple of the free courses for marketing. They taught us about how to remain sincere while trying to sell yourself or a product. There will come a time where I have commercials. I may have a Patreon that I would like to drive you towards. I'll encourage you to buy my t-shirts and toques. 
So where's the line between me and him? Good evening, my children of the dark, my goblins and ghouls. We have gathered here around our portals to another world once again to share our stories of the monsters, of the powers of old, of the conspiracies of the new. Before we do that, you must heed my words. You will buy a Casper mattress, and it will be good, and you will sleep well. You will use our advertisement code, Midnight Owl. Can I get a hoot hoot? You will feed yourself on the finest entrees this world has yet to offer by visiting HelloFresh. You will use our advertisement code, the Midnight Owl. Can I get a hoot hoot? You will strengthen your bonus, both in rigidity and duration, by purchasing the Blue Chew. And you will use our advertisement code, the Midnight Owl. Can I get a hoot hoot? Finally, children, you will visit the website of the Owl's Nest. You'll clothe yourself in the traditional garb of those that follow the path. And you will be protected. You know how to keep the monsters out from under your bed. Children of the night, you will like and subscribe the Midnight Owl. And you will give it a five-star review on the app that you use. Bless your ghoulish heart. Too much, not enough. I love it, man. Think about all those cool, weird nerd culture things the classroom people missed out on. November 7th, 1997, Starship Troopers was released into theaters. They missed in young Neil Patrick Harris as a psychic in one of the best sci-fi movies of all time. Would you like to know more? At this point, we have like six new Star Wars movies. We have the Star Trek remakes. We have Netflix, man. There's a, a Disney. We have an, an unprecedented amount of content. And an unprecedented acceptance of living your own life. And if you choose to live online in a niche interest group, there's a lot more. Go ahead and be happy, man. Like, look at the bronies. I don't support nor do I condemn the bronies, but look at the bronies. It's weird. I don't know. So, I've got this thought, and as I was writing this, it's been bugging me and bugging me, so I feel like I have to get this out before we end the episode. If Heaven's Gate didn't take the suicide road, what would have happened? We obviously could never know, but we do know that in the mid-90s, they were coding and building their own websites. What if they had disciples that became employees at Apple and Google? What if they bought stocks and startup companies? They were not afraid to move. Why didn't they go to Silicon Valley? Nothing compares to a zealot's work ethic. Getting ahead would be easy if you came home to the spacecraft and had a house of 40 people helping you code or finish a presentation. In the workplace, they would have been rooms full of people that would have been susceptible to their beliefs. As they moved up into management, people are people, and if you want to impress your boss, you express an interest in their point of view. Maybe a couple of nips and tucks to the doctrine, and you could open the door to more people. Maybe the classroom could allow for children and marriages. 
they're already forward thinking in their ideas of gender and sexuality. A bisexual man was the head of the cults. Gay men joined along the way. I, I guess if I was respecting their journey, all were asexual at the end. But if you remove the sex is bad thing, or least from the general flock, then those that wish to preach or graduate would be the ones that became celibate. Heaven's Gate could have had a frighteningly far reach of adherence. Then again, asking a nerd to not have sex is like asking water to be wet. It might want to overcome its nature in a rare occasion it has, but overall, you know, your question's fucking rhetorical. Over time, they could be at every board meeting, every department head, every company picnic, giving tribute to Dell. Their spiritual home could have been Silicon Valley, the nerdy Hollywood. Every small town has a beautiful person. When that person hits their 20s, a percentage of them decide that they're going out west to be a star. At a guess, half of a percent of these kids will ever make it. And keep in mind, this is all based on my own thinking, no actual fact. So let's just keep playing in this fiction. Silicon Valley would have that draw for every smart kid from every town, big and small. Looking to get out to be around their own people. Think about how easy recruitment would be if you're seeing these fresh-faced kids coming out of the Midwest, the Bible Belt, searching for their place in the world, having both a religious background and sci-fi knowledge. Some of them being out of their house for the very first time in their life and needing structure. You know, if you're a kid growing up in the Heaven's Gate cult, how awesome would it be? Sunday school would just be sitting down watching Star Trek. It'd be fucking awesome. You know, you wouldn't be afraid to leave your kids around the Reverend because they would have all been castrated. I don't think Marshall Applewhite had the skills to pull this off. He hated the world too much. He was too afraid of love and having his heart broken. But if Bonnie had still been alive... If her guiding hand had a little longer to see the way things were going, I do wonder if Heaven's Gate would have had a lasting power. They had enough of an internet presence back in the day, you know they would have gotten all the social media names right away. Hell, if they were already on top of SEO and were working within the various organizations of Silicon Valley, directing people, subtly ma manipulating the algorithms for what to play next on YouTube, what advertisements you see on Facebook. It would not have been that hard. I, I, I wonder what kind of internet presence they could have had. Well, I guess Heaven's Gate is over and done with. It's part of the past. But maybe, maybe it's time for me to start my own doomsday cult. I've learned a lot about the pitfalls from Heaven's Gate. You know, you don't give like an exact date of when something's going to happen. It's just, oh, it's going to. We could call it the Corona Cult. And it would be great for people with social anxiety since meetings will mostly be online. And if it was ever necessary for us to have it in person, you know, it would be limited to like 10 people with a two-week quarantine afterwards to make sure we're cool. Tithings will be accepted in the form of cash or triple-ply toilet paper. Well, folks, that's it for now. I hope in some small way I've taken your mind off the world at large. I ask you to stay safe out there. We are in for some incredibly hard times in the weeks and months ahead. 
give love, be kind, have empathy, and please stay strong. Oh, one last thing. Don't forget the owl at the moon. Hoot hoot. God, I think of UFOs. God is even real, I don't think anybody knows. And whether he is in the sky or deep inside of me is a subject for debate, along with whether he's a she. <laughs> when I wonder who is God, I think of UFOs. Jesus wrote a cloud of light, the Bible tells me so. I guess Buddha wrote an elephant, and Krishna changes shape. Did we all start back in Eden, or are we descended from an ape? Which is to say an ape-like progenitor. When I wonder who is God and why I'm alive I think these new age gurus preach a bunch of new age jive I'm not knocking airy fairies with their crystals on the shelf Because to tell the honest truth, I am one myself <laughs> So when I wonder who is God, I think of Sigmund Freud Is God just some big daddy we create to fill a void? If heaven's within me, no wonder Satan chose to fall Yeah, I love Lucy Fur He got a bad rap after all <laughs> When I wonder who is God, I think of UFOs. Look at Virgin Mary, she's magnetic and she glows. So why can't God be E.T. with two pinholes for a nose? And great big eyes and greenish skin and webs between his toes. In conclusion, let me say, after thinking of it all, my conclusion is confusion. Can't conclude it all, but I don't think I belong here. I'm a lost and lonely pup. So come on, God, or Captain Kirk. Or Scotty, beam me up. But here we are. <laughs> <laughs>